So for everyone that you know don't know who, about who we are, uh, first of all, welcome to our event. Uh, we are Dallas UX leadership and UX meeting user experience. Really the idea behind our meetup group and what we're trying to provide for you guys is you know, a place where you know, we're leaders and aspiring leaders have an opportunity to either share a story, to chat, to learn from one another, um, and to form a community of practice. Um, where we can all sort of share our experience and things of those nature, right? All right. And so, you know, the idea is that by building UX leadership skills and just leadership skills in general, we want to be able to elevate, you know, the UX practices into a invaluable discipline. Um, either you work in a small or large organization uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, it doesn't matter. We just want you to have, you know, the skill that you need and to explore the skill that you need uh, to lead effectively either as a manager or as an individual contributor. So, who is in this group, uh, group and who runs it? So, you know, Kathy Day uh, is the founder of this group. You'll hear much more about her uh, coming up uh, within this talk here. But to give you a quick peek, she works at American Airlines as a UX designer, as a UX, sorry, as a UX design thinking coach. Uh, supporting her is Sarita uh, Damania. Well, she is the lead UX designer over at Saber as well as myself, uh, I am a researcher um, over at Sabre as well. So, you know, really good people to work with, really in inspiring. Um, and yeah, um, just really glad that you're here to join us. If we can get to the next slide, perfect. So, you know, if you have any, you know, ideas for a talk, for a panel, or even just want to chat, like kind of what we're doing here now, uh, you know, sort of hit us up. You know, our emails over there, if you want to speak, if you want to even sponsor events, um, things of those nature, uh, you know, we are more than welcome, you're more than welcome to sort of hang out with us and talk, you know, just sort of work with, work with each other. Again, we are a community of practice. And so the more people that we have, like you guys want to talk, share your story and how you can lead effectively, or even share some tips and tricks, that would be really awesome. All right. So this event is brought to you by Real Estate IQ. Now, who is Real Estate IQ? Um, actually, it's kind of funny because, you know, Steve Liang, uh, he basically runs this organization, um, from my knowledge anyway. You know, he is a really good friend of mine and he sort of, you know, sort of said, said to himself, hey, you know, how do we make um, real estate investors job easier and what tools do they need? And so he created this basically company um, to find to be their number one in deal finding. Every month, 45,000 uh, leads are generated and found every month. And rather than just me talking about exactly what they do, um, go ahead and show the video. Perfect. Uh, we're running you through a video and uh, yeah, go for it. Hi, Aaron. Thank you so much uh, for being our client. Can you tell us about the, the story? Yeah, um, I'll be glad to tell you, Juan. Um, I signed up with Real Estate IQ earlier this year, and I find it, I was real grateful to have the software program. It helped me out do my research before I went to my uh, marketing leads on, uh, on site to do the appointments so I can uh, run my comps very easily, do, do my research, run up the values, and make my offers. Um, uh, 
um, spot on before I met my, uh, my uh, uh, potential um, sellers. Right. I ended up uh, the foreclosure listing, the divorce listings, everything to keep me spot on with the markets and where I could find my potential leads. Um, I actually found very good use for those. So very helpful. I'm actually glad that I signed up for the program. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, you're quite welcome. I appreciate it. Thank Sweet. All right. So if you want to learn more about, you know, your real estate IQ and how it can help you at, uh, and even maybe even your real estate uh, investor friend, uh, you want like a one on one 45 minute uh, training or like you know, to learn more, there should be a poll that is coming up uh, to sort of get more information and to, you know, get some more uh, engagement in that front. All right. So, all right. So um, without further ado, uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into our topic for today. Um, first of all, I want to introduce Kathy. Uh, as I mentioned before, Kathy is a really good friend of mine. Um, you know, when I first moved here, I really didn't know anyone who really loved Asian food as much as I did. Um, and she's when I started working at American Airlines with her, you know, it was kind of like, oh, you know, I was someone that I can uh, share my food uh, enthusiasm for. Um, as I mentioned, she is a design thinking coach over at American Airlines, and she has been doing that for a while. Um, again, she also started up this uh, meetup group, um, to be, you know, through her passion and what she wants to share. Um, and again, as I mentioned, she's a really good friend, a recent mother, um, and, you know, just a really good uh, person to really get to know. Uh, so, hey, Kathy, how's it going? Good. How are you doing, Gavin? Yeah, I'm doing okay. Um, you know, this whole quarantine business got me a little, you know, itchy to just go outside and do things. But no, I'm kind of glad that I have an air-conditioned apartment to myself. And you have a window, it looks like. <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. Um, so yeah, you, I think, alluded to the chat before that you, you know, you had a baby recently, uh, and with all this situation, now, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. I mean, I wish. COVID didn't happen because I would have liked to expose mm -hmm. Brianna to like outside more often, like, you know, meet other people, get to meet like her grandparents and stuff. But, okay. you know, we make do with FaceTime and other technologies. Yeah, I could just imagine, you know, uh, you have Brianna, uh, you're a recent mother, um, and you also are working remotely, correct? Yep, I am working yeah. remotely. How is that going for you? I think... Definite pro, I can just roll out of bed and log on and start my day, not to worry about mm -hmm. a commute. Um, mm -hmm. And also being able to actually just reach out to people really quickly, like, hey, I can send a quick chat, just um, touch base on people uh, immediately and uh -huh. know what things are going on instead of like having to walk down to other people's offices and just hopefully be able to catch someone in that kind of situation. But it's that kind of culture that we have at American where, you know, people prefer just face-to-face -face interaction. But because right. of COVID, they actually changed the mindset for everyone that everyone has to work remotely. Everyone's now in the same boat working remotely. And they've discovered that working remotely and working from home isn't so bad after all. Yeah, I was, was going to say, you know, you, you as a design thinking coach, you run a lot of workshops and things of those nature. How was that kind of going on within, you know, the, you know, doing it remotely and, you know, just not seeing everybody? Ironic, I think it's going really great because oh. we're using a, a digital whiteboarding tool such as Mural to mm -hmm. actually facilitate um, any workshops or sessions because um, when we do it in person, we use things like Sharpies and stickies and like physical whiteboards to actually 
do some of our activities and facilitate those activities. Right. But by using an online tool, it actually alleviates some of the stresses. For example, if you try to put a sticky on the board, you're not trying to reach over someone, you're not in Yeah, space. yeah. Mm -hmm. You can kind of actually do it all at the same time. So you can be actually efficient with some of your facilitation. And also, it just automatically digitizes all your artifacts. So you don't have to take pictures and take things down to like set up to reset the meeting room because someone's waiting for you at the door. So right. there's definitely a lot of pros to it. Yeah, and that's very interesting because, again, you're a design thinking coach, and you weren't always a design thinking coach, right? Um, you know, when we started working at AA, like, two months, not two weeks apart, um, you were a UX architect. So, you know, I kind of was wondering, um, you know, talk to me about, you know, what got you into user experience, um, and why did you decided to, you know, pursue UX as opposed to any other uh, field that you could have? So... This was a very hard question for me growing <laughs> up, actually. Okay. Um, so I think it all started in second grade where the teacher asked as an activity, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was, I was very analytical. I was like, how do you know what you want to be when you grow up? And also I grew up in a very traditional household, so I didn't get exposed to many different careers mm. anyway. Okay. So at that time, I thought about three careers. One, being a teacher, because I saw a teacher in front of me every single day. Right. Uh, two, the bank teller. I always thought it was fun to go to the bank with my dad and watch that thing shoot up in the air and just <laughs> give money to people. And then the third one, which was probably my favorite, is the mailman. Because I just love the idea how, like, when someone goes up to, goes up to your house and delivers something and you don't know what it is, so you get super okay. excited going to the mailbox and see yeah. what delightful surprises you may see. Oh, I didn't even know about that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, so in the end, I chose the teacher because I thought drawing the mail truck was too hard. And then the bank <laughs> teller thing, I just didn't know how to draw that machine. So I just drew a teacher just to satisfy that purpose. But so throughout my oh, – sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was going to – you might be getting into it, but I was going to say, how did you sort of went from a teacher route to being a user experience practitioner? Yeah, so – I didn't really want to be a teacher anyway. So throughout my academic career, I was hoping that there's something that would be taught that would tell me exactly what I want to be when I grow up. And I kept going and going and like, okay, I got A's in this stuff. Oh, I have an occasional B. That, that course is going to be out of the way. I'm not going to do anything involving that. <laughs> so, so then when I got to college and I had to pick a major, I was like, this whole time, no one ever taught me how to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. Okay. So then I just kind of looked back a little bit about some of my interests. So I remember I did a little bit of web development, a little bit of like digital design, like, okay, maybe I want to do something involving computers and technology. Mm. Um, so I thought about going to like a digital arts and sciences program, but then when my brother asked me, hey, why don't you just be a nuclear engineer? It's really cool to tell people that you're like an engineer. I'm like, well, I don't want to be a nuclear engineer. I have, I have no idea what that's about. <laughs> so I decided on being a software engineer. Oh, okay. At least I know something about software. So I'll just go ahead and be a software engineer and then see where that takes me because at least I'll probably make a decent salary out of it. Right. So I went throughout my whole entire college career being a software engineer, focused, watching all my other friends change their majors, but I stuck with it because I like, 
maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. I don't want to give up just because I made a bad grade in this class or something. Right. So I went through with it, and then I finally got my very first job as a software engineer at Raytheon. And after the first day of orientation, I discovered that this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. Oh, I, wow. I realized that there was something missing in that software engineering program that didn't really speak to me. I just, it taught me how to build software, but what I was trying to figure out is how, how can I make it meaningful for people? Right. So that's when I decided to take the time to self-reflect a little bit. And yeah. I got a book from a mentor that was called on what color is your parachute? So oh. I kind of read through that a little bit. It kind of gave me a little framework to understand what's my purpose. And right. then that's where I realized that I should have pivoted that question from what do I want to be when I grow up to actually who do I want to be when I grow up? It's oh, not really about the role or the title. It's really about how do I want to impact the world? And that's when I started looking at, like how I said, I looked back at my interests in technology, but then mm -hmm. who do I really want to impact? So I looked back about how... Um, my dad interacted with technology. So right. my dad, he's super capable. He knows how to fix cars. He knows how to fix VCRs when VCRs were a thing back then. Like he's super smart. But when it came to the computer and, and then the internet, it was right. actually very difficult for him, for him to use. So my brother and I always had to show him like a very simplified version of a desktop a very simplified version of how to use email just so he mm -hmm. can actually use it, communicate, and check his bank balance because we're not going to the bank anymore. So, right. so that's when I started connecting the two. Like, okay, I want to do something with technology, and I want to make software usable and inclusive of other people, not just the mainstream user, which is probably uh, a typical American or something. Like, what right. about people who don't speak English or something? Right. So it seems so, like you know, you were you were asking a lot of questions about what you want to do, and it seems like yeah. you want you needed to have a purpose to the thing that you were doing. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so uh, yeah, so that, that that's a very good point. You know, um, that you know a lot of people are just kind of like saying, hey, you know, I have a job. I can just do you know software engineer, very cushy job, right? But for you, mm -hmm. you say, hey, look, what am I actually doing? Uh, who am I actually affecting and impacting throughout my career? And it seemed mm -hmm. like that's kind of where you start to pivot. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. And you know, it really and you we were talking, and you know, you know, the idea is that this whole idea of purpose-driven leadership, right? It's kind of shaped the way that you sort of think about your career, right? So mm -hmm. we were talking about you know you wanting a purpose to drive your career, but what about this whole leadership idea? Can you talk to me a little bit about that as well? Well, I guess there's the idea of leadership and then there's the idea of purpose-driven leadership. So mm -hmm. with leadership, um, it's just really about the ability to influence others. Yeah. And it's not about the role or the title because growing up, I just assumed if you have some authority and you have a title, you are automatically yeah. a leader. And I didn't think I would be actually consider myself as a leader until I understood the idea of purpose-driven leadership a little bit, where mm -hmm. purpose-driven leadership, you're trying to influence other and rally people around a cause or a purpose. Okay. So if people truly want to follow that cause or purpose, you would able to influence them and they would actually follow you and not need like very exact detailed directions of what to do. Right. They are, they're empowered by that purpose that they're trying to follow. Okay. Yeah. And so you... 
men yeah, so you mentioned that you know it's not about managing essentially, right? You can have rally people behind you. Um, yet you know, how do you sort of rally people behind you to transition into your US career when you know you were just trying to break in? You know, like how did that? How did all this work to make that transition possible? Yes, I think it's about probably having a growth mindset, right? Mm. Because it seemed daunting to just move from software engineering to a user experience career where I feel like I had to start all over again. Yep. So kind of giving, giving yourself the idea that with a growth mindset, you don't, have, you, don't, you don't consider things such as a talent is innate within yourself. Mm -hmm. As mm -hmm. long as you are passionate about something and you're willing to learn, you will gain that ability no matter what. So what I did was I, I just continued to learn as much as possible about user experience. So one, I decided to go into graduate school for mm -hmm. a UX degree. And mm -hmm. also at the same time, I wanted to be able to practice UX. So I started looking for opportunities such as um, within um, nonprofits or the community where they need help okay. with user experience. Mm -hmm. um, and I try to be more creative about where can I find those opportunities, even right. at, at work as, yeah. as a software engineer. A lot of people didn't understand the concept of user experience, but I would say like, oh, well, have you thought about the customer in this way? Or, you know, oh, you're, me you're measuring, but what about considering customer satisfaction, for example? Mm. They're just kind of question people to kind of think differently. Okay. So it seems like, you know, you had this whole, you know, growth mindset and you're using that to say, hey, look, you know, I want to keep learning and I want to also uh, learn from other people, you know, have they thought about certain things that I learned, um, questioning people and trying to make that collaboration. Um, and eventually it seemed like you were able to influence some people because they got to thinking about, okay, well, I'm a software engineer, but have I thought about the user? Is that right? Yeah, that, exactly. And also... I have to say with Real Estate IQ, they weren't exactly uh, user focused at the very, very beginning. But okay. uh, with my uh, ability to participate in um, how they work and learning more about the company itself, um, it actually kind of turned the company around about, well, it's not about the features you're putting out there, but how are you addressing the needs of the users? Right. So when they started listening to what the users are saying when they're going out to these events, and trying to see, well, these are the needs or the pain points of the users. Let's figure out a way to actually solve their problems and alleviate those pain points. Okay, very cool. And you know, it's one of the things where like, okay, you use purpose-driven leadership to get into the UX field, right? So that, that must've mm -hmm. felt really, really good. Um, what about, you know, when you are already in the field? So, you know, you transition, you work at American Airlines, um, and really when mm -hmm. I was working with you, you seemed like you, were, you knew exactly what you needed to do. And I didn't even realize that was your first, you know, UX job, right? Yeah, um, so, so how yes, the, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I was going to ask, you know, how does this all tie into the UX view and why does it feel especially important? I think with the UX field, it's, it's actually really special and different in a way that in the UX field, you have people with different disciplines. So you have people who are more specialized in user research or people who are more interested in information architecture or people right. who are more interested in visual design. But Wrapping all that together, everyone actually has a shared purpose, which is how do we make a positive mm. impact on the user experience? Like, how do we make mm. it usable? How do we make it 
useful to them? And how do we make it delightful right. when they're going through an experience? So I that's why I think purpose-driven leadership matches up very well with the user experience field because everyone, everyone already has a shared purpose. So I think it makes us much stronger as UX professionals when we're trying to influence others in an organization. Okay. And talk to me about what that kind of looks like for, uh, like, what do you actually do and how do you actually approach it? You know, I, I could imagine in such a big company um, and I worked there and there was a lot of time where, you know, in, we had situations where we just kind of had to do um, basically what we were told. But there were also a lot of time where we did have an influence, not as managers, right? Like we get to say what we need to say um, and influence the product that way. So w what are some things that you were doing at American that really, you know, employ purpose-driven, purpose-driven, first of all, and leadership styles, I guess, um, to make it successful? I think um, it was an interesting environment at the time because I was the first information architect at American Airlines that they hired. So right. when I asked questions about, oh, how do you guys work? What's the process? They didn't have one. So mm. I had to actually come up with my own way of working with people. So there was this like question in my head all the time, which was, what's, what's the right thing to do for the user? So if someone's right. trying, to, trying to actually um, be more in a conflict with me about or disagreeing with something, Yep. And, I, and I feel very strongly that this needs to be reconsidered, I will yep. push back. So it's really about having that user in the back of your head to motivate you, like, am I doing the right thing for you? Right. And it's, it's out of curiosity, you know, you say you push back, you know, there's all the way that, you know, people push back. Someone like me who's a little more blunt, uh -huh. you know, may not be uh, well received depending on my tone and things like that, right? But, you know, as a leader, you're, you know, the idea is to influence people and hopefully get them on your side. So, you know, how do you, how do you navigate around that? Um, I would say navigate, you can navigate around it by the use of empathy, right? So there's a reason why they're not agreeing with you. Sometimes you just want to probe a little bit deeper about what's motivating them to make that decision. So right. usually when I push back, I just don't push back immediately. I kind of ask the question, why? Why right. do you want to make this decision? Why do you want to move forward with this thing that we just created? As opposed to taking the time to maybe ask the customer what um, actually works for them. Mm -hmm. So it's about being empathetic about them. And by showing that we care about what they're thinking, they're more likely to actually receive any feedback or comments that we are going to tell them because we mm. show that we care. Okay. So it seems like, no, I, I know empathy, you know, it's such a buzzword and people use it, you know, a lot of different ways. But I think it's, it's right though, you know, everybody, you know, you know, your coworker kind of have, you know, their objective that they need to fill and need that they need met. And if you don't acknowledge it, you know, people can feel very defensive. Um, your idea is to say, hey, look, if you use empathy, um, you know, we can understand people better and have a better approach as to, you know, how do we address these conflicts and things of those nature. Yeah, totally. Okay. And what about the whole uh, purpose part, right? I mean, you know, does that come into play? Um, I could imagine where you, you can remind people of the purpose, hey, we heard you saw user problems and things of those nature. Um, would that help at all? Have you had experience that with any of that? Oh, definitely. I think um, that's where design thinking comes into play. Okay. So if, like, if people aren't familiar with design thinking, it's basically this um, collaborative approach to creative problem solving. And there's like five main areas that you actually consider as part of design thinking. One is empathy, right? 
right. caring for the people you're designing for. And another um, aspect is um, defining or framing your problem. So before you even go off and try to figure out a solution for something, you're actually mm-hmm. trying to figure out, am I solving the right problem? And you actually figure out your sign of a problem if you actually talk to your users or talk to the people that you're affecting. Right. Yeah. So by considering design thinking as part of um, leadership and influence, um, mm-hmm. as part of a way of working, it actually kind of comes into play when you're actually, let's say, facilitating an activity. When right. people are coming up with ideas, you kind of point back and say, what was the purpose of this whole entire thing that we're working on? What was our key objective here? Right. So you kind of go back to that purpose or that problem that you framed to kind of get everyone back on focus on, are we really solving a problem for the users or not? Okay, very cool. Um, you know, you kind of created the design thinking coach role um, you know, basically, you know, by yourself, you know, you, I know that you had an idea, again, with the whole, well, what my purpose is, how, what my impact are. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so talk, can you just talk to me a little bit about, you know, how did you pull that off? How do you just say, hey, look, I'm just going to make this bro that's perfect for me, get it done. Um, so, like I said, I was the first information architect at American Airlines. So then I saw so many different projects that came through. I basically saw yeah. all of them that came through that affected our website or app or a kiosk. Right. And that's when I saw like a, an interesting problem where user experience wasn't considered at the very beginning when people were trying to figure out what problem are we solving? Right. We were always actually considered at the end. Like we figured out these are the requirements. We just want you to go build it and make it look good, make it, make it look pretty and just get it out the door. So right. then what I started doing was I started pitching the idea to um, leadership is we need to start thinking about UX strategy, right? Yeah. Like how we're yeah. going to have this holistic experience across the website, the app, and the kiosk if we don't look at things in a holistic fashion. So then I started um, pr- putting things together like strategic type documents to kind of show mm-hmm. like, hey, let's, let's try things out in terms of a strategic fashion and see if that works out. And then um, at the same time, my manager at the time, he was kind of trying to set me up to be like a UX lead on a team just to kind of start um, getting me exposed to other types of responsibilities. And right. like literally the week before he was going to announce that to his team, um, my director at the time said, hey, I want to start this design thinking initiative. Okay. And do you want to go ahead and take lead on that? And I said, sure. And I think it's because like design thinking actually helps put user experience and put the user up front of the problem and oh, yeah, for make sure. it as part of the whole entire process and not think about the user at the very end. So I mm-hmm. think by me trying to show my interest in UX strategy kind of led me down this path and this opportunity to actually start up design thinking at American Airlines. Okay. Yeah. It seems like, you know, not, it, it probably didn't pan out like, the way that you plan it out 100%, but it just seems like because you had the purpose idea of like, how do I make impact with user experience uh, with not a U or a UX practitioner, um, you know, when you see these opportunities come up, you're able to really action upon it because you already had that goal in mind. You knew that, look, this is going to help me as opposed to another opportunity, right? Yeah, exactly. I, because at that point, I was more interested about um, how do I influence people about the user and 
designing for the user as opposed right. to just revenue or making profits all the time. Because mm -hmm. as an information architect, I was you know, down in the weeds trying to make things usable for people. But then right. I'm just one person creating this aspect of a website and an app, but how do I influence others to think in a different way to think about the user? And it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to go do the work for them, but how can I teach them how to fish? Yeah, no, and that's really good point. You know, you're able to, you know, have, a, you know, like, like you said, you know, teach people how to fish as opposed to just giving fish every day. Exactly. Um, yeah, and it also seemed like you were able to, you know, in, in a way change the, you know, the structure of the organization, organization a little bit too, you know, you're, I know that there has been, you know, reorg since I've left and, you know, design thinking coach was actually, it became sort of its own little team. Um, mm -hmm. Can you talk to me about a, a little bit about, you know, how did you manage to pull that off to have basically like a, your own little team to and influence the uh, AA organization structure and not just about the user, right? Yeah, so the team is definitely an experiment in itself that um, okay. my director helped set up. It's like, so you take lead on design thinking, but let's get other people trained in design thinking and kind of get them together and figure out what does design thinking look like American Airlines. So right. basically, I'm immersing myself with them in design thinking training to understand what does design thinking mean? And mm. It kind of experiencing those struggles of learning together, mm -hmm. I think really helped with gelling everyone to work together because you'll be able to be empathetic about, you know what, there's this challenge here. I don't know how to work around it, but since I know you went through the same training and probably understand the same struggles that I went through, let me go mm -hmm. ask for some help from you. So okay. I think that shared experience actually helped a lot with um, getting everyone to work together. And as I kind of saw that team continue to practice design thinking on their own, yeah. um, I thought it was very interesting to see that they were able to do it on their own, but they're not asking those like detailed questions. What do I do? What do I do? What do okay. I do? They right. were actually starting to think for themselves. Like, oh, right. I remember learning this thing. I'm going to go ahead and try it. I've asked uh, advice from other fellow people that I um, experienced the training with. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go get feedback. It's almost like their shared purpose about design thinking kind of embodied them, and they actually started put forward as part of their work. Okay, very cool. Awesome. So we'll go ahead and take a few moments here to answer some questions um, that the attendee may have. And to do that, I'll pass it over to Sarita, who is facilitating all of that. Hello, everyone. My name is Sarita, as Gavin introduced. Uh, I am opening up the floor for questions, if you guys have any. Um, I haven't seen any pass through. We did get one. Will this recording be available to us? It will. We will share the link through LinkedIn and um, Twitter as well and Meetup. Um, feel free to ask these questions. We're here to uh, you know, ask these directly to Kathy and, uh, and Gavin as well. So ask away. Okay, looks like we don't have any questions right now. Um, Kathy, do you have anything else that you'd love to share with our audience today? It looks like we have a pretty wide set of audience today. We have a couple of UX, some in marketing, um, pretty broad uh, background. Yeah, I think I saw a question pop up. Oh, okay, yep, we do have one, you're right. How do you go about finding what users want? 
Um, is it market research? Oh, so actually this is a better question for Gavin, but I would do a quick <laughs> intro to that one and then Gavin, feel free to interject as much as you want. So finding out what users want. So what we do in terms of user research, it's not really about finding out what they want. It's actually finding out what problems or pain points they are having because users aren't likely to express what they want and actually be, make it a product that they would actually want to use. Because um, if you take the example of um, Ford, right? They designed a car, but if you ask people back then before if they about the idea of transportation, they're probably gonna say, I want maybe more horses, for example. But the idea of the car would never actually come up if you ask them what they want. So the idea of user research is to actually find out what exactly do they need. So there's many ways to do um, that type of research. Um, you can actually as, as easily do like interviews with people one-on-one, -on -one, or you can actually um, do um, maybe more group sessions, talk to um, users that are of the same population, talk about what pain points they're experiencing. Um, you can do things like surveys. You can actually do things like um, usability testing. So such as like, um, for example, using eye tracking technology to actually see where things are going on the screen. So you can actually see like, where do they pay attention to as opposed to what they should be paying attention to based on what we've actually designed for them. So there's so many different methods. It just depends on like how fast you need that research, what uh, equipment or what uh, methodology is available to you at the time. But I'll let Gavin add in any more if he wants. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I want to add is that you know, we're with user experience research and user research, we really wanted to talk about how, you know, what problem we're trying to solve and how do we solve it, right? Um, not necessarily ask them, you know, ask like what Kathy mentioned, not what they want, but like, okay, what problems do you actually have? And then we can try to figure out what the solution is. Um, and so I think that's kind of like what really drives me to ask questions a lot of time um, to have that mindset to really you know, create something that would be truly useful as opposed to what you think is useful, right? That's a great point, Gavin. Thank you for answering that, uh, Kathy and Gavin. Uh, we've got a couple of questions actually come through. Thank you for that question, Nicole. Uh, we've got a question from Ahmed Arshad, and uh, he thanks for sharing your story, Kathy. And uh, the question he's asking is, how has it been during wor doing workshops with everyone being remote? Yeah, so I kind of touched about touch upon that a little bit earlier, but um, doing remote workshops have been actually really easy when you have the right tool. So we've been using a tool called a uh, Mural. And it's actually a digital whiteboard where people can easily just jump into the tool and just put in digital stickies and then draw things and then write things down. And it also includes um, facilitation tools built into that tool. So you can actually um, control where people's um, mice pointers are going, or you can actually control um, the timer. So people know how much time they have left to actually facilitate a session. And it's really great where you have um, these artifacts that you've created from a workshop already digitized. So you can easily send a link off to your stakeholders saying, hey, we just did this thing. Here's a link to, like, to show you what we just did. We'll put together something for you in a more formal format, but you can actually show it immediately um, that you actually accomplished something and they can take a look at what you're doing. How has the experience been? This is basically, I'll just add on here as a question, as a tag question. Um, how has it been in terms of uh, 
the kind of design workshops that you would do in person, how are they translating into the mural? Have you seen that they're taking longer or people are doing things maybe outside of the shared time or they're doing it, you know, the term right now, latest term is asynchronous or synchronous workflows, mm -hmm. right? Doing yeah. it together or doing it as homework per se, right? As adults now we have homework. So um, have you seen a, a shift with going remote that's stood out to you that would be worthwhile for people who are leading teams and design? Yeah, I think the shift that I'm seeing is that uh, we're not doing these really long sessions anymore where like in person, it was easy to kind of get everyone in a room and spend a whole day working on something. But mm -hmm. being remote sometimes is very difficult with just, I have to sit here in front of a screen for eight hours a day. It's very tiring and you just need a break as well. So I've noticed a shift from big sessions to smaller sessions. So you kind of break up those sessions. So it's a little bit um, digestible and you can still go about your day because basically you're stuck at home all day and you don't want to be stuck to your chair all day either. So there's that shift there. And then also um, the preparation for workshops are a little bit different. Like you mentioned like asynchronous versus synchronous collaboration. Um, sometimes I've seen people collaborate in preparation for a workshop just to kind of get some things or out of the way, or maybe it gives them more time to think about the problem they're trying to solve. So they're more prepared going into the workshop as well. Hmm. That's, those are really great tips and really good insights. Um, thank you for expanding on that. Um, we actually have a couple more questions here and know we're getting close to time here. So um, Gail, uh, I hope I said the name right, Barton. Um, has a question. How do you find managers who are willing to give you leadership opportunity without treading on their roles and responsibilities? It's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really being transparent and open to those uh, managers or those leaders. You basically have to tell them exactly what your intent is because you are in control of your own career and it's not their responsibility, it's actually your responsibility. So if you tell them that this is what I'm interested in, and they're tr if they're truly a caring and empathetic type of manager, they will try to find a way to give you those opportunities, either not as an official role, but maybe as part of a project or an effort that they're working on. It's like, oh, if you wanna be a people manager, how about this project you're working on? I wanna make you the lead on this particular group of people go even go ahead and practice that. And maybe you'll be able to prove yourself that you have the ability. So when it does come time for promotions and things like that, you already be considered because you have already shown your value and your ability to do that kind of work. Oh, okay. So it sounds like it's almost like supporting the manager's goals as well as- Exactly, yeah. Because you're into the door. Yeah, exactly. Because you don't want to say, oh, I don't think you're doing a great job. I should be taking your job. It's more about, what can I do to make your job easier? That's a great question to start with. And I know there's many different ways to ask that as well. So um, definitely great answer on that. Thank you. Um, another related one on, on design workshops and, and stakeholders. I'm going to kind of go to that one here by, uh, gosh, I do not know how to say the name, but <laughs> uh, Jing Liu. Um, you'll have to correct me if you see it in the chat. Um, says, hi, Kathy, how to communicate your design decision with your stakeholders to convince them? And uh, what, what if there's a conflict between users' needs and business strategy? Um, how do you work through that? So the first part is like, how do you communicate your design decision with your stakeholders, convince them? Um, usually when it comes to communicating design decisions, um, we always try to back it up with some kind of supporting evidence. So either it's with 
user research or if user research isn't available, maybe you're able to um, go do a search on um, similar metrics or competitive research, but like let's say compare analysis with other um, companies that are similar to yours, just so you can show that you're not just thinking of things just out of thin air, but there's a reason behind your thoughts. And if they see the reason behind your thoughts, they'll be more respectful about the decision that you made. And even if they may not agree, they would actually be willing to listen at the very least. And I think that would be a great way to start the conversation. So if they have a conflict, you can start conversing about it as opposed to having an argument about it. Mm-hmm. Where do you see the, I'm going to kind of expand on that, where do you see the purpose-driven um, leadership aspect coming in again in this aspect? Because I imagine in communicating design decision, it has to be a shared purpose as well. Mm-hmm. Um, establishing that, right, and you're talking about doing it with some of the user research insights. Could you expand on how you go about doing that in your own methodology? I would say um, by bringing in purpose-driven leadership, you're also trying to remind people of why you're doing what you're doing in the first place. Right? Like if you're designing a screen, maybe you want to remind them like this was the business opportunity or the problem statement that we actually set forth in the very beginning. Even though we've created this thing, don't lose sight of why we're doing this in the very first place. So really basically communicating your why or your purpose, um, why you're kind of talking about your design decisions would always mm-hmm. be helpful. So, you know, when it comes to conflict between user needs and business strategy, the second part of the question, um, it definitely, you know, is, is an aspect of it is when that why starts to evolve, either from a business perspective or from a user perspective. How do you navigate that? Yeah, I think it's um, through a lot of conversation because if it's starting to pivot or it's starting to change, maybe there's something about how they're working is affecting them to change their mind about something. So Mm. let me just say, for example, with the airline, right? Like with COVID-19 that happened, it just changed everything about how we make decisions because now it's about how do we ensure that we're making enough money to keep us alive, right? As opposed to where at the very beginning of the year, we were super excited about, um, new strategic or innovative type of um, ideas that we want to go put out there, but we had to put that on the back burner because we got to go back to making sure that people feel comfortable about flying again. Right, right. This has definitely been a new time for technology and how we create <laughs> and how we think about UX leadership as well. So Kathy, uh, thank you for thank you for all, answering all these questions. These are really great questions, everyone. Thank you so much for sending them along. Uh, Gavin, the floor is back to you. All right, cool. All right, so we're going to go ahead and talk about, you know, how what you can do to incorporate purpose-driven leadership in a couple of moments. But I do kind of want to, um, you know, explore a little topic here really quickly. You know, we talk about purpose-driven leadership, you know, as a way to, uh, you know, accelerate your career and things like that, right? Um, But my question really, uh, you know, I'm kind of wondering, you know, does it, is it, does, does purpose-driven leadership only apply to careers, or does it also apply to your personal life? I think it applies to your personal life and your professional life as well. Because in your professional life, you know, you're trying to figure out how to make meaning out of something where I'm trying to make money and make a livelihood out of. But, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> but in terms of um, your personal life, it's almost as if, like, why, why am I here? Why do I exist in the first place, right? Like, how do I make an impact 
on society or the world if that's really what you really want to do. Because as humans, we're very social. We want to be able to create a legacy that we pass on to future generations. Okay. Yeah. Do you have any like specific examples um, as to, you know, you using purpose-driven leadership to sort of, you know, either, you know, pursue hobbies or pursue, you know, um, just different life paths that, you know, you had a thought that you had to think about? I think uh, it definitely came in when I became a parent. So when I got pregnant, I thought about, oh my gosh, I'm going to be responsible for another human being. What am I going to do? Because I thought about, okay, my daughter is going to be born into this world where I have no idea what kind of opportunity she'll have. And okay. so at the very least, I want to be able to be some kind of role model for her so that she knows uh. that what the possibilities are like out there. Because you know, being a minority and also being female, sometimes it might be um, uh, somewhat, not sort of a detriment, but you have less... Um, that's a bit of an opportunity to have yeah. for some. Yeah, you have challenges to overcome. There's a lot of challenges to overcome for sure. So it maybe me changed my mind about like, whenever I'm doing something, I'm asking myself like, if I don't do it, who will? Who's gonna uh. actually? So if I see my daughter kind of questioning herself like, well, if my mom's not going to do it. Why would I do it? Right? Right. So <laughs> I need to practice that same kind of behavior for her to see. So, yeah. this, so this quote that I kind of keep in mind of all the time is be the change you want to see in the world. So yep. by Mahatma Gandhi. So I think that resonates a lot with me because it will motivate me to go do something because I know inherently I'm a lazy person. <laughs> Aren't we all? I, I like to say that we're trying to be as efficient as possible. Yes, that's what <laughs> engineers would say. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's interesting. So, you know, we talk about purpose-driven leadership and how you use it in your career to influence people and to sort of get everyone in your, you know, on your side, um, you know, all really, you know, stemming from having a purpose of wanting to uh, employ or, you know, have impact into not just coding but other people's lives yet you're also now look like you're employing purpose-driven leadership almost like as a way to mentor people you know like in a way you're mentoring um your daughter uh, by being a good example and I, and I could just sort of imagine you know just being and practicing purpose-driven leadership you're almost implicitly mentoring everyone around you yeah yeah definitely you're definitely influencing right and that's what leadership is about yeah very cool. Awesome. We, we hear a lot about, you know, purpose-driven leadership. Um, you know, what are, like, let's say, for example, you know, I want to start practicing it now. Uh, not that I'm not already, but um, mm -hmm. let's say that, you know, someone is new um, and says, hey, look, this sounds great. Um, you know, what can we do to really start being on that right path? And I can sort of imagine, at least from your example, you started with having, you know, the intent or the purpose, right? That idea of how do mm -hmm. I make impact? You know, how do we people, how do we, people get on that path? How do we start thinking about that? So one way is to think about your, what's your own personal purpose? And yeah. there's kind of like multiple ways of doing that. And um, there's this one book that I recommend on um, Mastery by Robert Greene. And uh -huh. his very first chapter is about discovering your life's task, which is another way of saying what, finding out what is your purpose, right? Mm -hmm. And in that very first chapter, he talks about like five different strategies about how to find that purpose. 
And then some of them involve like one kind of go back to your childhood because when you were a child, you're not <laughs> inhibited as much from the real world, right? Right. So yeah. What were you truly interested in when you were a child? So kind of think back to your childhood and what were your true passions are. Uh, another way um, to kind of figure out your purpose is like, um, what can I specialize in that no one else has ever done, right? So like, Maybe you're good at one thing and you're good at another thing, but what happens if you converge or put those two ideas together? It becomes a brand new idea. And this, maybe that's something you want to pursue as I'm probably going to be the only person in the world that can do this. And I think it brings oh. value to the world. So I'm going to go pursue that path. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's, it sounds like you know you're you're kind of reframing um, to a way in in a way where like okay, what can I bring into the world and how do I sort of do that? Exactly. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Um, you were gonna say something else before I interrupted. Oh, um, I guess another strategy is um, don't go down this false path of like money, fame, status, title. Like, don't fall into those kind of um, fallacies in terms of finding your purpose because your purpose. It's about those superficial um, ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Um, and what about, you know, is there anything that we can do to sort of, you know, start practicing purpose-driven leadership? Um, you, know, as with, you know, at least for me, it took me a while to really discover what I want to do, right? But is there anything mm -hmm. I can do in the meantime as I'm discovering myself? Um, any way to incorporate and operate in a way that, you know, is synchronous to purpose-driven leadership? Yeah, so um, let's say you're working in an organization or working on a team. Um, find out what's, what's your purpose on your team. Has, have they already identified it? And if so, um, start using that as a way of working, right? Mm -hmm. So um, let's say you're on a team with like cross-functional um, roles or abilities, and they're starting to question like, well, why are we doing this thing in the first place? We're like, well, remember our purpose? Remember, this is what we do, so don't lose sight of our team as well when you're actually working on this particular effort. And it kind of goes back to communication, being really good at communicating your why. So really figure out how can you communicate your purpose in many different ways will actually help you out and how you're going to influence others. You know, that, that brought a great, great point. You know, how do you communicate your why's? How do you communicate your why's? Like, what, what do you do to you know, employ that? There's a very explicit way of doing it where you just literally keep talking about it all the time. <laughs> you present to it. You find people who may be willing to listen and just kind of continue talking about it. Yeah. Um, the, and the implied way is just showing that this is your purpose and that you care. Like you embody the purpose itself. So you want to mm -hmm. demonstrate those behaviors. Perfect. Awesome. Um, yeah. Um, is there anything else that, you know, like anything tactical or anything that, you know, the audience can sort of pick up and start, you know, practicing and using, um, in the meantime, as they're practice developing these other skills? Cause it's not like you can just flip switch, right? And just say, oh yeah, I'm going to do this now, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, but is there anything else that you would like to share that we haven't covered? Uh, so far in terms of practicing. Yeah, so like um, I think it's very important to kind of find your purpose because once you find your purpose, you will just automatically open a whole new world and a, yet you're self-motivating yourself to actually make a difference and make things happen. So uh -huh. what I do recommend is um, in our latest newsletter, um, the article called um, From Purpose to Impact from Harvard yep. Business Review. It has a great um, 
description about purpose-driven leadership, but also yep. a framework on how you actually find your purpose. So I definitely recommend reading the article just to get started. Yep, and we will ha definitely have links to the books that she mentioned, that Kathy mentioned, and the link to the newsletter that had the article as well. Um, so yeah, um, it sounds good. Um, just something that we can definitely do to take, you know, start at least practicing it and things of those nature. Um, is there anything, any other cool stories, anything else you want to share? Uh, we got a few minutes left, and I still want to leave a little couple of minutes for Q&A, but is there anything else you want to share uh, before we move on? Um, I got, I got an interesting question earlier this afternoon about like, share a fun fact about yourself. And the okay. first thing that came up, I came up with was, um, uh, I crossed the Mexican border illegally, but people were not allowed <laughs> to ask questions. So <laughs> it just got people's cur curiosity going like, how did that happen? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Perfect. If you had to impart one piece of knowledge, um, if, or if your audience only, you know, remember one thing after they click on the leave meeting button, what would you want them to remember? What would, what would your, uh, what, what, what would your message be? I would say go find your why and it's definitely worth the effort to find your why, even though it may be an uncomfortable journey to discover, don't be afraid of it because once you find it, you will actually be more motivated to actually go change the world. Awesome. Thank you very much, Kathy. Um, thank you everyone for attending. Um, we have a couple of minutes left and there are a couple of things that we need to wrap up. In the meantime, if you want to ask some questions, uh, go ahead and type them in. Um, earlier, we mentioned that there'll be a slide with the books and the reading material. Uh, we can show that. Perfect. So, you know, earlier she mentioned a couple of these books. Um, they really start getting uh, uh, on track to explore, you know, your why, your purpose, and things of those nature. Um, we also have a, you know, we kind of put out a monthly newsletter um, in our LinkedIn site. And so, you know, if you follow the link, you'll see all the information, all the articles that we referenced um, in the uh, newsletter, it's including the Harvard Business Review article that uh, Kathy mentioned. Yeah, so uh, thank you so much for that wonderful session. I really, really love the ideas and especially I will stick into my mind that be the change you want to see in the world. <laughs> I, I really, really love that. And don't forget to join our community portal at realestateiq.co and I'll be posting that link as well in our chat box, which includes our Facebook pages, a Facebook page and our events that you might, you know, you might thought of joining as well and learn a lot from it, just like what we are learning right now with Kathy, Gavin, and Sarita. And finally, I would love to emphasize about um, following a false path. Actually, it's the first time that I've heard it, and it's, it's a big, big thing for me. Like, you know, if some business people are like uh, following the path of money, fame, and I really love that and know our purpose. So with that being said, any, any last words from Kathy, Gavin, or Sarita? I also want to, again, thank the Real Estate IQ people for helping us facilitate all this, ran this really well. Um, I want to thank you guys for, you know, Kathy, for giving the content. You're very, very great interviewee. And Sarita, good job on, uh, you know, managing all the Q&As. Love it. Thank you. Um, thank you for your questions. <laughs> 
Yeah, but again, uh, feel free to reach out to us uh, on our LinkedIn and email. Um, if you want to share anything that you want to share, tell your story, just like Kathy is doing now, we'd be happy to hear it. Um, and aside from that, thank you very much, guys. Have a good night. Thank you, everyone. Have a good night. Thank you. For webinar schedules, follow us at our official social media accounts or visit us at www.realestateiq.co.